0: Welcome to Feels Like Healing, a podcast where artists discuss how creativity has helped them to process their grief, trauma or loss. My name is Al Lewis, and when I was 21, my dad died from multiple sclerosis. That was the catalyst for me to decide to become a singer-songwriter. In this podcast, I have conversations with other artists about how their grief has influenced their creativity. In this, the final episode of series two, you'll hear clips of all the artists I've spoken to during this series and how they've used their creativity as a tool to better understand their grief. We kicked off series two with the singer songwriter, Frank Turner. Here I am asking Frank why on his ninth album, had he decided to open up about subjects that previously he'd found too difficult to talk about. If we look at your latest album, your ninth album, I read in an interview you did with the NME that you mentioned how the subjects that you're covering here in this album you wouldn't have been able to talk about maybe a few years ago. No. And um I just wondered at what point in your life did you decide to confront these things? Like you just mentioned, you know, the fact you went to boarding school at eight and the trauma of that and your difficult relationship with your dad and all these things. What what sure. what point did that did was the what was the well,
1: tipping point? <clears throat> One of the kind of secret influences on FTHC is my 40th birthday, Um, uh, (laughs) should we say, you know, and getting older is sort of generally awful. But um, (laughs) one of the sort of consolations is is a slightly greater sense of surety in who Hmm. you are and where you stand, or at least that's been my experience of it.
0: Did that give you the confidence, therefore, to to open up a bit more about your past? Is that, Was that the, the key? hundred
1: percent. I mean, I was able to kind of like probe the foundations a little deeper mm. because I felt like I was standing on sure ground at this point. I mean, it doesn't hurt that like I have sort of been engaged in therapy as a concept for the last few years. Yeah. Um, and uh, it turns out there's an awful lot of shit under the rug. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, being older definitely helps.
0: I wonder if you found that in in opening up in these collection of songs, did it did it provide you with some sort of solace that you didn't really perhaps think you needed?
1: In, in places, yes. And I mean, one of the more rewarding or at least interesting moments in songwriting for me is when you figure out what you think about something in the process mm-hmm. of writing. You know, I think a lot of people think that you kind of, you have a feeling and then you put it down in song and it's not always quite that, the sort of the the line of causality isn't yeah. that smooth you know and sometimes you start to write about something and something comes out and you go huh i didn't realize i <laughs> thought that um yeah you know but also i mean there's a degree to which things can be aspirational you know um emotionally i think you know there's a song in the new record called miranda that's about my dad mm-hmm. being transgender um and it's a very kind of warm and positive song and that it, in all in a hundred percent honesty there's a degree of aspiration certainly when i wrote that song i wasn't i'm not a hundred percent sure i can say with all honesty that we were quite there yeah in that place when i wrote the song and and ultimately you know we're still a parent and a child and there was an awful lot of really really terrible things that happened that i don't i can't just sort of wish mm. away at the same time you know it's an, it's an immeasurably better set of circumstances now and you know there i do feel like that a fair bit of the time
0: and was that a conscious decision by you to make miranda positive and joyous you know as a songwriter were you were you looking to create that as as a feeling as as that you're saying that's what you were hoping for in your relationship
1: yeah i think uh, definitely and i think for my own benefit and perhaps for miranda's as well i wanted to kind of There's another song on the record called Fatherless, which Mm -hmm. is about (laughs) everything prior. Yeah. Which is more aggressive Mm. and more um, furious, perhaps. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, and it it felt to me that those two songs are kind of yin and yang, whatever. You know, they're they're the the positive and negative poles of a certain situation. And thankfully, there is a linear kind of timeline between the two, and it's definitely heading in the right direction. But... um, you know, we still have plenty that we can get into an argument about, let's say that. So a
0: song like Fatherless, where you're really opening up about your childhood, is that is that cathartic for you now to have that out there in the world?
1: It is, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, very much so. I mean, it, it's a funny old thing because catharsis and vulnerability are two sides of the same coin mm. in the sense that I stand on a stage and sing that song and part of me Feels like I'm expelling my demons. Part of me feels like I'm totally opening myself up mm-hmm. and being vulnerable in a way that is pretty intimidating sometimes. Yeah. And um, so, so yeah, it, it is cathartic, but it can also be terrifying.
0: Up next, the singer-songwriter Carmody, telling us what she felt like when releasing songs about the loss of her dad. How how did it feel to? Well, first of all, to write them, and then after that process uh, to to release them when what would the re- what was the reaction like what was it a, a healing process for writing it and releasing it or like you say it's a subject that um society is still a bit uncomfortable about and um so how how did you broach it when you decided that you were going to release these songs as a ep and you know make it about
2: grief mm. um yeah, I, d- I don't want to put you off <laughs> because <laughs> because um, yeah, I think the process of writing these songs and working with people and sharing my like grief with the musicians and artists around me and like having those tender moments was such a special time for me and it was it was really important for my journey um, my like grief journey and I think in hindsight i feel better for having written that that music um and i'm glad i did it and it also records like this real rawness and this tender difficult time in in my life that i i'm i'm not there anymore i'm still grieving but i it's like i'm not sh- i don't know who that person was but i think it's so important to have a record of who that person was for for me, yeah, I remember I said to my therapist recently that like I, I was just like, oh, I am I feel a lot better now than I did three years ago. And she was like, are you sure it's better or are you just like relearning a, a new stranger? You know, like, because once when you, you lose someone, you kind of feel really rootless. I think you called, you called it rudderless. And like, you're just kind of, I felt like I was just kind of wandering around, like learning who this fatherless daughter was, you know. And now I feel like, slightly better but also a little bit guilty for feeling slightly better so it's like I've I'm in this ever-evolving stranger who's just learning relearning the the person I am but when I released the music it was really difficult because it was a soul-making process creating it but it's can be quite soul-taking releasing it and trying to commodify it because it's something mm. that's so so raw and so close to your bones like i i was almost treating it like not obviously not how i felt but how i was releasing it i was not cautious enough with myself and i was treating it like i was releasing songs about a relationship but they were such personal songs um and obviously it is about a relationship but it's about a relationship with someone who's died so it was really tricky and it is quite. People like like songs because they can relate to them. And if you haven't experienced a parent dying or someone really, really close to you dying, it's quite. It might be quite a difficult record to get to grips with. You know, even if they had been through a bereavement, it, it might not be the kind of way they they choose to grieve and not the way they relate to grief. So it might be something they don't want to engage with yet, or it just might be something that they can't relate to but it was really hard to commodify something that was so raw and so close to me and obviously so so new you know that you, you mentioned that like releasing something a year after seems like quite a short space of time and and it was and you know a lot I questioned whether the whole process was was good for my grief at, at the time because um, I was just coming to terms with it and then I was, like, presenting it to the world and, you know, putting it up to the world for them to kind of listen and, yeah. So, so you know, to go back to your original question, I guess if I hadn't have, like, released My Jupiter, part of me did question whether I should have just created the project expense and all without releasing it just as a way of processing my grief but not sharing it with with the world but then you know it's opened up conversations with people like you and you know people contact me on on instagram and say that it's helped them and you know that that's what's really important if what if it touches one one person
0: next up is the singer-songwriter sam genders Sam is a member of the band Tongue who released a concept album about death and dying called Dead Club. In this extract from our conversation, Sam discusses the feedback that he received from fans about that album and also the importance of creativity in his life.
3: In terms of the response to the record, is that one thing we did get, which we've not really had before, is we got a lot, a huge number of personal, private messages from people basically saying thank you and very touching stories of um, their own experiences and how this, they were grateful that we were doing this and talking about it. So that, that kind of, that's the thing that made me feel, okay, it wasn't a terribly insensitive thing to go and do. If we
0: go sort of back or turn the conversation slightly to, to yourself personally, you know, you said you had a lot of thank you letters from people thanking you for bringing this subject out into the open what uh, what do you feel like creativity brings for you what what are you looking for in creativity is there an element of healing of something for yourself what or is it still the escapism what what is it for
3: you i think part of it is just like a pressure valve thing you know if you're someone as i am it's who found life very challenging especially conflict and avoided conflict and became very much a people pleaser in, in a sort of subconscious way really so I wasn't aware that I was doing it so I, I would feel quite overwhelmed by you know work and school and things like that but all that's all that stuff is down is down there somewhere in your system you know or in your subconscious and I think creativity can be a way for that to come out you know you it's on some level you kind of express these things from within you and that releases this sort of pressure valve and of course this is a metaphor for i don't know or i don't know what's really going on there but but that's how it that's how it feels so i think partly it's it's just that Maybe it's to do with telling stories. I don't know. You know, when you when you create, you're often there's there's a story or an implied story Mm. there, especially as a songwriter. And when you craft stories about what's happened to you, you you get in some way to choose the story, or or at least you you you're making the stories that you have more conscious. And I think there's something about making your inner world more conscious that is. To yourself mm-hmm. that's that's useful because otherwise you know you're reacting all the time um certainly that's been my personal that that seems to be the thing that has been has helped me to function better in the world and enjoy life more is becoming conscious of my reactions and feelings and and learning that a lot of it is um you know i i i'm triggered a lot by a lot of different situations in life, and I have quite intense feelings come up, and in the past, I would attribute those feelings to the situation I'm in, and I would probably start thinking about them, and then I would probably behave in a way that wasn't helpful for the situation. Whereas, I'm much more able, much more of the time, to to notice. Oh, I was, oh, I'm feeling a really intense feeling. Wow, well, that's in- that's interesting. Uh, I wonder why. You know, it's not. It isn't because. My wife just um, said I shouldn't leave the, you know, the dishcloth Dish. <laughs> ne- ne- in that particular place next to the sink. That's not, this feeling is not, they don't match, you know, it's not a uh, rational sort of response. Um,
0: having the tools to better understand and deal with what's going on and hopefully therefore improve my,
3: my own responses to it. The actual creative process itself has always for me been this lovely process and I, I'm not quite sure why but it feels like it's like a natural thing that has always happened with, you know, I I just feel this urge to do it, and it feels really special just when I'm just by myself doing it. Um, I do think there is something about when you create something that represents something that's universal in some sense, or at least... um, feels universal to a certain group of people that that sort of recognition of that is powerful in some way you know um when you know i I know if i write a song and it evokes sometimes i write songs and they evoke you know i'd be crying while i'm writing the song uh and but 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 then it turns out the song's crap (laughs) you know it's just it just (laughs) it's just that it was about something this sort of for me that it's evoking a certain story but but i haven't maybe written a song skillfully enough to evoke that in someone else but when when i've written a song and i can evoke that feeling that i get in someone else then i think there's something special that's a sort of something special happening that's that's worth doing
0: next up the singer songwriter jamie lawson discussing the background to his hit single wasn't expecting that and the importance of music to him after he lost his dad at 19.
4: At the end, I wasn't expecting that. If for anyone that doesn't know this, that you know, someone passes away um, suddenly. <laughs> um, or, but um, the reaction to that song uh, had been huge in terms of people having gone through it. You know, it was, really, it was yeah. a lot of people's life stories. Um, it was somebody's granddad or somebody's parent, or the, mm. you know, actually somebody's uh, story and. Um, I still now, I mean, even, and even not bigger than that, it, also people that had it as a wedding song and then said, and then it was also played at his funeral or something like oh that, Oh my you know. God. Wow. So I get messages like that. It's obviously touched people in a way mm. and been of use. And yeah. I think that's my, maybe my proudest. The, pr- the proudest thing that i have is that a yeah. song like that has helped someone in some way um you know get through a time or even soundtrack an incredibly sad time but because that's a really hard thing to do yeah um consider i mean i've always considered that particular song a very happy song and i think maybe that's why it helps as well as is, is it reminds people that there was a lot of joy in it um, throughout the life Before the sad bit You know There is going to be a sad bit That's a fact <laughs> you've, you've been able
0: to give people Some sort of solace in that song
4: Well it's, it's, it's one of the reasons That music meant so much to me I, I mm. think you know um, Growing up with my dad being poorly And them not talking about it My parents not really talking about it too much Meant there was this big hole of confusion mm. That music stepped into Mm. And then so I got solace from music. And when my dad passed away, there was a record called Tiger Lily by Natalie Merchant that also had songs on it about grief, uh, a song like I May Know the Word. Um, And there's a few others on it, Beloved Wife, I think. And I I listened to that song for that that record, that album for six months straight, almost Mm -hmm. nothing else. And it completely got me through, you know, helped me any time I needed it. So I, uh, music was that for me. So the idea that I've been able to do that for someone else means the world because I completely understand it. So do you feel now that you're in a place where you can
0: broach the subject of your dad easier in conversation and with your wife and potentially looking ahead now with your son? Is it, do you feel in a stronger place to talk about grief and loss and, and your dad? Um,
4: It's a good question, especially when it comes to the boy, because I wonder, I I don't know how I would Hmm. talk to him about it. I I hope, I really hope that I'm just as honest as I can possibly be at the most difficult questions. Hmm. But I understand now, having become a parent, why you're not
0: because yeah, yeah. why
4: do you why worry your kid hmm. um but in not saying anything i know for a fact that it causes this other thing yeah that stays with you a long time <laughs> yeah through no fault of their own whatsoever so i, I think there's probably a way of doing it i obviously he's two and a half i'm not going to be <laughs> sitting him down and saying now about your granddad on my Uh, side? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you still feel that creativity gives you that sort of
0: release that you were talking about when you were 15 and starting out? Is it still as powerful for you in your life? And do you see it remaining so for the years to come?
4: Yeah. I'm at an interesting point of touring is almost off the table, it seems for me, due to the pandemic and Brexit so i'm at a point where i i I wonder if this will continue now i suspect it will and i'm just that's just on in my mind because essentially i can do nothing else (laughs) as i said i have no plan b um so what else am i going to do and even if i stopped releasing music publicly stopped recording music i think i'd still have to do it Hmm. because if i don't i go a bit uh, a a bit bonkers a bit (laughs) i I, I can't quite cope with the world you know yeah so yes it's exactly the same
0: the next clip you'll hear is from the live show that we recorded in cardiff back in january the first guest was caris an actress, writer and singer who upon creating her new debut show Lovecraft not the sex shop in Cardiff found out that her father had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease We rejoin the conversation now as Cardiff talks about taking that show up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival You then Took the show up to Edinburgh. Am I right? Just mm. after he'd passed.
5: Well, no. First, I it, it went up to Edinburgh. He was still alive, um, and that's the thing with motor neuron It's as long as a piece of string. You don't know. There's, n- you can't predict anything around it. It's terminal, but it could be. You know, Stephen Hawking lived decades with with this condition. So, Dad had gone to hospital because. The house was no longer safe for him until we set it up for the right machinery and with the right care system. And, um, and then I was gonna go to Edinburgh Festival and return within 28 days. Um, it was difficult leaving him because I saw the decline. You know, He was so used to taking care of other people and being the provider. And then all of a sudden people having to wash him, all those things that hit his pride. And, and I just saw the, his, the hairs on his arm become white Suddenly, and I was like, "I think he's in a death process," and and nobody was talking about it because nobody knows. Like nobody knows what motor neuron. There's, you know, with other things, you can kind of predict stuff. So I, I told him, I just think I want to leave you, and he's like, "What are you going to do? Just sit there and watch me for 28 days, and you know, I'm just, I'm just going to be here, sitting down. Just go. You, you've worked so hard." It's brilliant, just go, do your thing, enjoy yourself. So I went up, and uh, it was really hard to enjoy myself, but I tried, I was doing these shows, but I, my brain was very much at home, um, texting him constantly, and then the very last, and, and then one day he wasn't texting me back, and that was really strange. And I phoned mum, and he's, she's like, oh, there's just carers in, and then I just felt weird. And then the following morning, she rang to say he was gone and for me to come home, and I went home. um,
0: So were you in Edinburgh? I was in Edinburgh,
5: yeah. yeah. I'd only done about five shows at that point and flew back and, you know, it was incredible, it was majestic, you know, like he was such a part of a community, so was my mother, my mother was plugged in, was, you know, chairwoman of everything. So the house is like 10 different people every hour, it was just constant, constant, from 9am till 6pm her pals and then my pals arriving with wine, so you, it was just a real assault of, but so much love. I mean, that's the thing, that's so much energy. It's, I remember my friend David telling me there's such a euphoric stage in that time. Like, you're, so, you're reflecting so much on how amazing they were, you know, if you're lucky enough that they were that brilliant person. And, and, and everyone's giving their stories and it's so buoyant. It's incredible. And then of course, um, my, my producers, they, and they were like, it's up to you, what do you want to do? Whether you want to go back at all or whether you don't want to go back at all. At all, you know, like it's up to you. Um, but we're not going to let anyone else have that space, for you. We're going to keep it, which is just psychologically really kind and wonderful of them. And then it was Riyadh Glythe, my friend, well, our friend, who said, you know, what, what are you going to do after the funeral? Because after the funeral, it gets really tough. Mm. It's just so quiet. Mm. And, you know, you have this show which is about love, which is about society and um, that heals people, that gives people so much knowledge and love and, and support and tools. You can, and so what I did, so this is the first instance I suppose I wrote about grief. Mm-hmm. I wrote about what had just happened and how our communi- community came together into the show. And so, so I just- you tweaked the show? I tweaked the show. Yeah because the show was about my life. It was about what was happening in my life. And now this had happened to my life and I wasn't going to just ignore it. So if I was going to go back to finish what I'd started, which is the last three days of the Fringe, I was going to put dad in there and honor him, but honor the society, the power of love of a community and of friends. And it all, you know, it was just all underlined by that time. And it was amazing, I, you know, it was, sometimes I look back and that was mad. <laughs> but I had so much, it was such an overwhelming loss. He was such an incredible man. I couldn't wait to share my love and my pain with everyone.
0: Yeah, do you feel, yeah, you felt compelled to go and do that. There was no part of you thought, actually I'm just gonna stay at home.
5: No, no. I think people, the odd person went, are you sure? And I was like, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And like, I wanna share this. I have to, I need to, I don't know what it was. And. It was the most, I get this euphoria just propelling me. If somebody would have set that out to me, would you, if your father was to die, would you go back i'd be like, no, never. Or, how can you predict anything? But I couldn't stop myself.
0: The second guest from the live recording in Cardiff was the actress and writer Hannah Daniel. Hannah lost her dad when she was 25. And in the years following her father's death, she went about to co-write and star in a short film called Burial. In Burial, Hannah plays triplets, each one a different facet of the grief she experienced when she lost her dad. To coincide with Burial, she also wrote a short piece for Vogue magazine about what grief meant to her. Here she is discussing that. Hannah, one of the lines that I really took from your piece that you wrote for Vogue was that you said, uh, as much as grief is debilitating, it's also liberating. And uh, I think that is so true and um, did you feel having just made that huge decision and assertiveness in yourself to say, yeah, I can do this. And then losing your dad, did you feel like, well, F this now, I'm just gonna go full, full steam and just, it doesn't matter how how people respond to me. I've got this inner strength now that I didn't know existed. I did eventually. Well, did that take a while? But it
6: it took a while. It took a while. It took a lot of wading through chaos that I wasn't even aware of, you know. That's kind of what I'm trying to explore years later in burial. Just this feeling of like completely being out at sea because a huge part of what you know, a huge part of me and and a huge part of my makeup had completely disappeared and had just gone. And, you know, looking back, I had, I was in identity crisis, you know, and so I was trying to seek solace in all these different things, you know, good and bad, you know, booze, partying, work, you know, travel, meditation, and actually came to find it ultimately in writing and comedy and laughing and, you know.
0: So that, because I, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, a there's a gap between burial coming out and, and your dad passing. So those years were, were a confusing time for you then in terms of finding out who you were. And did you, re- did you really think that it was the grief that was affecting you? Or do you think it was subconscious? Or were you aware, this is, yeah, I'm no. feeling shit because I've lost my dad, or was no. it, were you burying that excuse there,
6: you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nice plan. No, I don't think I was aware, I think, <clears throat> I think I was telling myself that I was fine, you know, I'd dealt with it, and, and, um, I mean, God, I still don't quite, you know, fully know who I am, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd made this big decision of, like, right, this is what I want to do, and then lost my dad, So then that was thrown into question. And yeah, I was just trying to kind of crawl back to that sense of security and, um, yeah, balance that had completely disappeared. But yeah, I was not, I wasn't aware. I remember speaking to friends afterwards and they, you know, and the, them saying, you know, God, yeah, I remember, I was, I, you know, I could see, you know, I, we, I was worried about you then. Mm-hmm. But, well, they didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you? No, but you know, it was I, I was, I was telling everybody I was fine, you mm, know, I, yeah. but I was on a treadmill and I was.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, would you mind reading for us a, a little piece of that Vogue article for Not those who haven't uh, read it yet?
6: So yeah, um, I'll, start, I'll start with an ext- extract. Um, it's near the beginning, but basically I'll pray see it with, I've set the scene, I'm 26, I'm living my best life, I'm in a flat share in London, we've got a little pulley system out of our front window so that we don't have to walk downstairs to meet the pizza delivery guy. Like, <laughs> life is sweet. <laughs> um, and then, spoiler alert, he dies of a heart attack. Grief made me feel like a million different people none of whom I'd ever met. I couldn't make sense of it. And for the first time in my life, I felt lost and lonely because whatever I tried, whoever I was, I couldn't find my dad. He was gone and I couldn't quite get my head around that. I became obsessed with grief. I read everything, everything I could get my hands on. There were lots of books about birds and solitude, but where was the grief survival manual? I booked myself on a silent meditation retreat. I lived like a monk in Monmouth for 10 days. No drinking, no smoking, no speaking. Nothing but contemplation and vegan curry. I felt reborn at the end of it, healed. Then I headed straight back to Dalston with my yoga mat and 20 marble lights and soon lost my chakras. (laughs) My dad always encouraged us to think. So I thought, a lot. I thought about how we remember the dead, how we keep them alive, the stories we cling to, and the ones we conveniently let go. And somewhere between the binge drinking and Buddhist meditation, I started writing. With my friend Georgia, I thrashed out a script which would turn into a short film, Burial. In it, I put on three costumes and play identical triplets bashing out their grief at their father's funeral. Three facets of the same person, three imprints of one man. It's a story of love, pain and reconciliation, a grieving daughter's attempt to make sense of the madness of grief and the pain of losing a parent. And guess what? It was the most cathartic thing I could have done.
0: The third and final guest at the Cardiff Live Show was theatre maker and film director Gavin Porter. Gavin discusses with me the origins of his first major show for the National Theatre of Wales, Circle of Fifths, a show about grief, loss and community. Tell us a bit of the backstory behind Circle of Fifths, because it is rooted in personal loss, isn't it? And Mm. At what point did you decide to use your grief in a creative
7: way? Covid hit. And unfortunately, uh, my uncle passed away in COVID. As as been mentioned, I'm from, from Buton, And like all communities, there's loads of traditions. And one of the traditions in Buton is funerals. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, without exaggeration, I might go to about 11 or 12 funerals a year. Unfortunately, because of the fact of life, funerals are a big, make up a big part of the community. So in COVID, because of numbers, people couldn't, do, do that, that situation where all, we was all dealing with, and it was, it was a way of uh, how do I deal with not not gr- grieving process because that that lasts forever, but going through the ceremony of, of my uncle's passing. How do you start a conversation with people about death? Is, is that you know it's a it's big, isn't it? And then I thought about my own relationship and also thinking about ceremony, and I thought, okay, well maybe the the opening question I can ask people is, oh, what song would you play jaw your all?" And then through that, I think a lot of people, not everyone might know the answer, but through that opening question, then we can get to some of the deeper conversations.
0: And music, it seemed like, was such a huge part of it. Did you always, and you alluded to that being the first question, and is it true for the Bute Town tradition that music is a fundamental part of, of the, the, the grieving process and the funeral process?
7: The physical journey of a Buton funeral, so it's kind of in five stages. So we'll meet, not always, but quite often, this is how we will go. We'll meet outside the house of the person who's passed away or their family member. Then they'll carry the coffin to the the church. Then there's the more traditional, church service but of course there's music like like a lot of you there's music that that you you're carried into Mm -hmm. there's the songs you sing or sometimes don't sing and there's the music that you're carried out to then we'll go to the to the graveside and if they get embedded like i'll take my my working boots and a shovel and and other people will because then we will fill in the grave Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like the last physical offering you you can do for the person Uh, and then we'll go to the community center. So I thought, okay, well maybe the, the, the journey for the audience is that physical journey. And that's what, what happened. And yeah. yeah.
0: It was beautiful. Well, Having made Circle of Fifths now, a show that deals so openly in grief and loss, do you, do you feel that it's changed your outlook on loss and bereavement? Looking ahead, does it, do you think you'll use it in something new that you'll make?
7: Uh, I think the show was useful for me to process what happened to my uncle. Uh, I think the re- the reason I call this circle of fifths—I'm not a musician—but this is my understanding of the, the theory—is uh, that notes work in harmony, innit? And even though I'm not a musician, I understand when notes are out of harmony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the reason I call this circle of fifths is I feel the same way about death. At the moment, I'm happy. i, I, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm harmonious. Unfortunately, because it's inevitable, I'm gonna grieve again, because someone's going to pass away, unless it's me who passes away, and then there's going to be a disharmony. And over over time, there'll be a new harmony again, won't it? Mm -hmm. Like, that was just a moment in time. It was a really beautiful moment. I had some really amazing uh, comments. I cried for five weeks, literally, because I was holding other other people's stories, and I was asking them to share their their moments of grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people in the show Left because it was too much. Some people it unlocked something, and they were floods of tears were coming out. And some people, a couple of people, said to me, they said I, I couldn't go to my nan's funeral, and I was like going to my nan's funeral. And a few people said that it, it felt like cathartic for the for the audience as well. So that was like a, a extra bonus I hadn't even even considered. Like you know.
0: My next guest was filmmaker Jamie Adams. In this extract from our conversation we are discussing the film Balance, Not Symmetry, the collaborative project that Jamie undertook with the Scottish rock band Biffy Clyro.
8: I think there's a resilience to people that experience mm. grief at a young age where you don't give up, you never yeah. give up, and you're not embarrassed by anything anymore. I don't know why yeah. it feels such a thing that when you lose a parent, you feel a little bit like you shouldn't tell people. Yeah, that it's, definitely. That, that it's... <laughs> then it's like something that should be just with you and no one needs to hear that. You feel like you don't want to impose it on other
0: people, don't you?
8: Yeah, you do. That's how yeah. I felt. Yeah, you really... And again, that's a, just talking to you now, that's probably the first time I've thought of that. But you definitely, you definitely don't want to do that. And so any, But that's what filmmaking feels like, or any kind of art where if you've gone through grief at a young age, I think it just gives you that strength of, I don't give a shit what you think of me. You can literally think I'm an idiot and I've got no talent and I'm being whatever else unrealistic, but i'm going to continue to try and make this happen until somebody tells me absolutely that's not going to happen
0: so was balance not symmetry the first time that you'd realize that you needed to tackle grief in a film and did you did you do it consciously did you did you set out to make something that would help you personally deal with with your grief.
8: I mean, when I look back at all the films, they've all got something related to a loss of some kind and feeling vulnerable. And as I said, generally speaking, there's a parent issue um, of being disconnected. And I always found that odd because I've always, as I said, my child was very connected, but now I realise at a very young age, I, I started to lose that. My dad got ill. Basically my dad started getting heart attacks. I was hitting a wall and I, and my dad died. Uh, a week before i was meant to go and shoot the film wow. and well that's huge isn't it and i was like i'm just about to do the same thing i'm just about to go into this major it was the biggest budget that we'd had and it was 15 days and but i wasn't able to be that strength that i would got from having that you know mum dying at that at that young age and the thing you built up around yourself and being able to go nothing can mm. get me you know because that's the worst thing that can happen well, your other parent dying, no matter how old you are. I mean, I was only in, what was I, late 30s? Of course. Um, it, you know, that, that breaks the shield. You've got to form another shield then. you got you got to form the I'm an orphan shield then. And that sounds silly. You're a grown man with your own children. But, yeah, it was... And I, I denied it completely. I, I was speaking at his funeral as if it was something I could deal with and I was a grown man, everything's fine. But, um to then have to go and do this film became the thing. I don't ever want it to be um, functional, basically. I was um, lost, essentially.
0: Well, it sounds like you were going through, a you know, you were going through, like you say, the, the process of losing your second parent. It was uh, a very traumatic time for you. And was there any part of you that thought maybe now's not the right time to make this film?
8: No, I think that... I'm still proud of the film. I want to say that. And I think that's because... It was still what it, it was still what we set out to achieve, which was this record and film that fed off one another. And the moment at which Simon could tell that I was going into my dad having heart attacks and, and eventually dying, I think he knew he couldn't get involved in that, and he had to protect himself. I mean, there's lots of people who have watched it and said they loved it, and it, they have been through grief, and they, they uh, really appreciate the film, but I think that's because they're hearing Simon's voice in the songs in the film. I think that they do work hand in hand and I think you do need to experience the record before you watch
0: the film. I do agree with you that the two go hand in hand and that the music is a strong collaborator with the visuals of the film but creating whatever it may be, putting pen to paper or pencil onto a canvas, it it can be healing and it can help people.
8: That's really beautiful to hear and I think that uh that's art and artists and so on isn't it it's like perceptions of things is different to audience but everyone has their own perception And i think that that's what was going on with that film for me is as much as i tried to hide behind again see and i always say the words hide behind but i, I think that's the truth really there was a record there it wasn't just my voice there were two voices that were coming from a similar place and um mm-hmm. ultimately it's a silent film there's not really much conversation going on at all and this is true to what happened to me when i when i went back to university there wasn't i didn't want to talk about it i'd rather get drunk and just scream stereophonic songs oasis songs but you know there Mm. wasn't much opening up really about why i was angry what was you know how it was hard to create something without feeling the upset and so on and so there's lots in it as i said that i'm proud of and i'm happy it exists for my children to perhaps watch one day and and appreciate that at that point, dad was obviously going through a moment of silence really. My final guest in series two was the
0: actress, singer and podcaster, Tara Bethan. In this extract, we hear Tara talking about the impact that the loss of her father had on her career and how it made her reach immediately for the pen to write her first ever song. What was your trajectory before that point? Do you think you were, as I said, you'd just been on I Do Anything, the search for a new Nancy on BBC One, you a huge exposure on that show. Were you a creative person at that point in terms of, were you writing songs? Were you looking to become an artist or was it more of a different trajectory before losing your dad?
9: Oh, I was very different. I was a performing monkey. And <laughs> what I realise now is, I'm oh, no jokes, I was running around just silently screaming, love me, love me, love me, love me. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I've done well. There was nothing coming from me. There was no real, there was no truth. It was just, please like me and tell me that I'm good. Mm. And I think, you know, that comes from being a child who was a performing monkey, but are surrounded by children who were farmer's daughters and sons and you know, I grew up in a tiny village. I think you know you can relate to the North Whalian experience growing mm-hmm. up as a child. There aren't many wrestlers' daughters. No, there certainly that's for aren't sure. many kids who are jumping on a train every week to go to London to be in a show. Mm. You know, um, so I think a lot of the loneliness thing and being an only child. Yeah. a lot of that made me want to be liked. I mm. wanted me to you know I wanted to fit in mm. but the only way I knew how to be praised or liked as it were was by you know doing high kicks and b- being on stage
0: So do you think do you think if your dad had lived for another say 10 years you'd have carried on down that path of pursuing yeah uh praise and pursuing uh, like you say a mm. career where people like in inverted commas you know what you're performing as
9: Mm, definitely yeah Yeah. and you know not for a second do I blame him for that Mm. he was just doing his best you know giving his daughter as was my mother you know whatever opportunities they could and I'm very grateful and lucky that I got those opportunities um but it's a combination isn't it I think a lot of people grow up not realising that what they're doing is trying to please their parents. Mm. Not everyone, um, but a lot of us do. And I think there's a weird shame about admitting that. I had a lot of shame about admitting that for ages because nobody talks about it. So you think you're the only one. Yeah. (laughs) But then eventually when I sort of found my own path and, and finding my own path has become the being creative, you know, so I wrote my first ever song about two days after dad died.
0: Which is the opening track, isn't it? Of the album. Yeah. yeah it's which... called
9: Six Feet Under. I mean, there you go. Heavy yeah. punch in the face. This is where we're going with this album. <laughs>
0: had, had you reached the point privately then where you were open about your grief and your dad's, I, I like you grew up in North Wales in a rural community where People don't really talk about grief and particularly when it's a tragedy, when someone's been taken too soon. And how did you deal in the aftermath of losing your dad in not just being creative about it, but just talking in general about him? Were you okay with that?
9: So it's, it's tricky. I mean, I definitely made a lot of people uncomfortable in the last 13 years being so open about my experience of grief and my experience of life. I had a friend once who said to me, "Do you know that you say things that no one else says? Like you, you say the things that we're not supposed to say." And I was like, "Do I?" Now I realise, and then I went really like paranoid about it all, and was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I'm walking around making everybody feel really uncomfortable. But now I'm like, actually, I'm just telling my truth, and I think. People come to me now to talk about when they're struggling.
0: There's a commonality at the end of the day in finding that solace in creativity, don't you think?
9: Definitely. And I think what you, my nugget from you today is immortalizing them. And I've never really thought of it like that because I've been too busy making an album. You know, you're you're so in it that you can't really see it from the outside, but I feel... I feel quite emotional now that you've just said that, because it's like, oh my God, yeah, that's what I've gone and done. In all my weird, you know, wearing my father's wrestling black velvet Mexican hat with gold diamonds on it in my artwork for the album cover, I'm I'm immortalizing him. By calling myself Tara Bandito, I'm immortalizing him. And that is, that makes me feel really nice.
0: We will be back with series three of Feels Like Healing in the coming months. In the meantime, please remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast. That will help to spread the word about Feels Like Healing. Thanks for listening.